inspire, educate, connect. This is Yoga Digest, a vibrant community of passionate changemakers. Hi, I'm Kim Bauman, founder of One Love Movement, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing social justice for kids. I am so excited to bring you a podcast about people amplifying love and humanity out in the world. Please join me as I set out to discover what connects us all as one. Thank you so, so much for listening. Welcome, everyone, to a very special edition of One Love Movement podcast, where we are live in New York City, and we've created this episode into a live event. Today, my guests are Catherine Budig and Kate Fagan, two powerful and empowering women out in the world who stand for truth, love, and unity. Before we get started, I'd love to take a moment to acknowledge a few people who, without them, this event would not have been possible. Thank you to Lululemon for hosting us and for your support of my ambassadorship, Mind Body for your sponsorship, Tanya Ruecastle for your sponsorship, The Cravery for donating cookies for our guests, and Yoga Works for helping us to spread the word. We are so, so, so appreciative for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now, without further ado, please meet Catherine Budig and Kate Fagan. So that'd be fun for each of you to give each other's intro. So you're going to intro Kate, and Kate's going to intro intro Catherine to the group. So I got this. I feel like how is the sound quality without the mic? Can you guys hear me fine? Yeah, you're fine. I just want us to like constantly. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll I'll do my Catherine intro. So I'm going to be I'm going to be so specific bio here, but Catherine is a writer first, in my mind. She has two books. They happen to be about yoga, and one is also a part of a cookbook, but she's a writer and a storyteller, and once you get to know her, you see how fueled she is by like taking in information in the world, and how she sees like a love of so much mythology in books. So I think of Catherine as a writer, was also made a wonderful name for herself in the yoga and wellness world. She's also my wife, and she has two dogs. We have two dogs, Ashi and Kiona. We live in Charleston, South Carolina. And she's one of the most charming, lovely people that you meet. Um. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's a mic. Okay. You can go for a mic if you want. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was waiting for the torch to pass. Yeah. Okay. Kate Fagan, again, is a writer and a a creator of perfect sentences. She is on the quest Mm -hmm. for the perfect sentence at all times. And while she was known as being on-air talent for ESPN, that is not what she relates to. In fact, if you try to describe her as on-air talent in any way, she kind of gets her feathers ruffled over that. Which is funny because she was excellent at that job, but that was something that she kind of stumbled into. She's has an unbelievable wealth of knowledge when it comes to sports stats that I will never comprehend where she can pull these stats out of. She's like, oh, well, that happened in 1989 on this really 
small handball team professionally in sports. <laughs> I still amazing. I don't have memory of. I mean, people talk about yoga, and I'm like, who did what yesterday? Um, um, and she is a highly proficient impersonator of her dog Ashi. <laughs> she has given Ashi a side of her personality that I think always knew was there. I didn't realize she was such an asshole until Kate came into my life. Um, she has the sickest shoe collection that I have ever seen. And y'all, thank you. Because this is my wife. I actually spent last night by myself with Ashi the asshole who wanted to get in bed with me. She was sleeping in her tent. And I was on GOAT, which, if you don't know what that is, it's a shoe app. I have a shoe app, like a sneaker app on my phone, not a shoe app, sneakers. And I spent at least a solid 10 to 15 minutes by myself looking at a sneaker app last night, and I think that was my way of saying that I guess my wife. Um, yeah, and she is the most observant human that I've ever met, the most obsessed with consuming water and numbers that I have ever met. It's important to be hydrated. She loves to fixate, which ultimately is the impetus for so much comedy, which I love. But um, she is... She strips away a filter for everything. You're, you're a filter stripper. Sentence writer. Yeah. A perfect sentence writer and a filter stripper. <laughs> Thank you. That's so, it. I've always wondered, uh, and I tried to figure it out myself, but I couldn't figure it out. Why did you leave it ESPN? I feel like that Mike's going to give me comfort. Okay. <laughs> it's like standing behind a podium, right? <laughs> um, I left ESPN because I had written this book called What Made Maddie Run, and it was about a young woman who died by suicide and the aftermath of working on the book and talking to high school and college kids was so much of like this flawed equation of achievement and how high school kids are so caught up in doing things to reach some outcome that we as a society have told them we need to embrace. And so I would go and I'd be like, it shouldn't matter to you what the name of the school is. Is it a good fit? And we would have all these conversations. And then when it came time to either stay at ESPN or leave because my contract was up, I mean, I made, we made a pro and con list, and I knew that if I stayed, it was solely because other people thought it was awesome. I mean, that would really, aside from, like, money, which is a great reason to have a job, the other reason was just going to be that other people, other people wouldn't understand why I left, and I would be losing a lot of cultural capital, and I wasn't sure that I, my identity could take it, that I would go to every, every cocktail party, and what are you doing? Like, I used to work for ESPN. You know, that, that would be the thing that I would always say. So when I realized that it was fear-based and that I wanted to try new things and I wanted to get back to, like, really writing, um, I decided that I had to make that jump. So that was my... I love that. And actually, I just finished What Made Maddie Run, like, a week ago, and that book was incredible. I listened to it on Audible, which I love because I really like your voice. Um, I actually tried to listen to Reappearing Act, but truthfully I couldn't because it's not your voice. Um, but I love, absolutely love What Made Maddie Run. And um, the, one of the reasons that I love it so much is because I remember you, uh, I'm, I'm just going to like say my own summary of it. It's probably not totally spot on, but I remember when the book came out, you had said uh, that you were sitting by yourself in ESPN in this lifeless room, and you, or maybe it wasn't the book, but there were articles that had gone out on ESPNW, 
and um, you had said that you painted a picture of being all by yourself and of on a feverishly, I think you said the word feverishly, which really like struck um, interest in me. You said you were feverishly checking your Twitter, your Instagram, and your Facebook to see what the comments were and to see what the likes were on the article. And uh, and I don't know about you guys, but I do that same thing all the time with every single thing that I post. And I make it mean something when it's got less likes than something else I've posted in the past. And so I wanted to actually hear a little bit more from you, Kate, about that moment and your thoughts around the social media that you talked about inside the book. That was really powerful. Yeah, so part, part of what made Maddie Run was telling Madison Holleran's story, and part of that was getting her book from her parents, and her computer from her parents, so I had access to her messages. So part of it was reconstructing Madison's life, but the other half, because Maddie was only 18, so there just there was too much opportunity. I couldn't get to the places I wanted to get to about culture and social media and technology without making huge leaps about Maddie's life, but I thought if I could tell some of my own experiences with those things as the other part of the book and share ways that I thought it affected Maddie, it would be a more powerful way to get to some of the culture, cultural issues in the book. So I do dive into my own times when I've been sucked down and spent, you know, you just lose time when your brain is inside of technology. And it, I don't think it, I think as a society, when I, at the time, that we weren't talking about that as much. Whereas now I do feel like most people have, are pretty well versed in the idea of uh, other people's curated lives being lived online. But um, in the book, I really wanted to talk about social media technology, not just from that lens, but also getting deeper to how these Instagram and, tech and Twitter, they've kind of created even more divisions of self within us and among our kids. Like you're now like a third sort of self that's like a mass consumption self and you're, and you're forced to kind of be performing all of the time, like a celebrity. You know, but except now we're doing it whether we only have like a couple hundred followers and all of a sudden you're like living this mass consumption life and how you perceive yourself within that world. And that's what I thought Matt and I thought that related to Maddie a lot too, because one quick thing before I'll give you back to Mike is that the night she died, the night she died by suicide, she posted a picture in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. And because I had her computer, I saw that she took that photo seven times. And I saw all the incarnations of filters that she put on it and decided not to put on it. And I was like, you know, that's a very sobering detail to read and see when it comes to how she was still processing, how she would be viewed by other people even when she was in a crisis moment in her life. So the book tried to get into so much of all of that because I think it relates a lot to our kids, but you know, regardless of our age, just kind of where we are in society right now is trying to understand how this stuff is impacting us. Um, you can get the mic. So what uh, what did you learn about yourself from the process of studying her life and writing about her? Well, I, I learned that I had not given enough thought to how people's brains are different from my own. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't pursue this story because I had this background in understanding mental health issues or depression at all. I, it was very almost just very coarsely like, 
this is, I wanted to know more about her story. I was just like, oh, wow, I don't understand the why of this. And as a journalist, that's where you're going. You know, you want to understand the why. So that's why I pursued the story. And along the way, I, the thing I always say is that I think mental health is the greatest privilege that we can have mm-hmm. as humans. Because I just figured everyone kind of woke up like my brain. Like, I wake up and I'm like generally pretty happy to wake up. You know, some days are better than others, but I'm never stuck in bed. And I just kind of thought everyone felt that way. And through the process of writing this book, I mean, I now I have, we have people in our life and we had no clue that they struggled with depression or continue to struggle. And so now I, I understand the people in my life so much better and I, we just have way different conversations, the two of us, that we have with people are different than they used to be because we have a much more holistic understanding because you know, we both had been, I was an athlete, Catholic teaches yoga, like, of course we talk about body. Yeah. You know, we understand the view of the body, but I'd never before connected with everyone and how that their own perception and their own perception of life through their mind is so different than mine. So. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, it's a phenomenally empowering book if you guys have any interest in picking that up. It's called What Made Nanny Run. And um, I know for myself, like, I just felt highly impacted by all the different phases of the book that it went through from, like, social media to feeling like you can't uh, stand up and speak for yourself, feeling like you don't have a voice. I feel like the book references that a lot, like, just not having, like, wanting so badly to communicate something, but you can't find it inside of you to actually say it because you're afraid or you're you're afraid what the people are, people are going to think or, like you had said, um, the reason you would have kept ES, your job at ESPN and renewed your contract is because it's a cool job to have, and people think that's really cool if you're if you're a commentator for ESPN. So, so they talk a lot about that in the book, and it's really really amazing. Um, and so it kind of leads me to the question I wanted to ask uh, you, Catherine. So uh, I was been thinking a lot about uh, not making it in life, and like what does it mean to make it or to not make it in life? And the I feel like there's a lot of image around that as well and so I know you've done you do so much writing you've written two books and you're a yoga glow teacher and you're just a superstar to so many people so what is like making it or not making it to you and uh how do you feel that do you ever feel like you've actually made it in life (laughs) because it's like oh I did a book and and then then what right yeah um this is something that Kate and I talk about a lot, actually, in the, the concept of moving goalposts. And it, we, we both happen to be very ambitious people, and I love that part of my personality. Sometimes it is eating me alive, but we both realize that when you reach that top of the mountain that you've been climbing for a while, in this day and age, especially it feels like you get there, you celebrate for a hot second, and then it's about how do I maintain this power? okay, I'm here, but how do I keep it? And then not only how do I keep this, okay, but, but, but what's next? Like, all right, I, you know, I made this list, but how do I get to that more selective list? And then how do I get to the smaller one and the smaller one until you're the last man standing? And, and that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. So, and I think that's just a lesson that you learn with aging as well. You know, when you're young and ambitious, and I think when we, you know, can, can I curse? Yeah, you totally um, curse. You know, like when we give millennials shit, right? And it's just like, it's so ambitious and you just have to have to have everything. But also when I look at younger people, I'm like, that's just 
that age. Like you want to take over the world and, 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 and it's now or never. Like if I don't get this job, I'm going to be ruined. I remember feeling that way when I was younger. I remember being up for this big, this is like back in the day when Adidas, Adidas was picking their female global ambassador. And I was like, me, that's going to be me. And it was narrowed down to me and, and four other women at the time. And I was like, I own this. Like, this is mine. This is going to make me. And, and, they, they definitely did not pick me. And, um, and they ended up going with a woman whose name, legit, the real name is Rainbow Mars. That's a real name. It's real. I've never even heard of her. No, Rainbow, if you're listening to this, props. That was just oh, jealousy. Like that was totally yeah, that was jealousy. <laughs> I, I love you now. I didn't at the time. I apologize. No, um, I strayed from the point my friends. The point was, and I think I, I was 23 or 24 at the time, and at that moment in my life, I, I was crushed. And I probably spent, no joke, at least six months stalking Rainbow Mars. You know, just mean stalking, like hate stalking her. I feel like it hasn't ended. <laughs> I would totally... No, I like Rainbow. Um, but I'm saying I, I wasted an exorbitant amount of my life comparing myself to her, thinking that she stole something from me, and she took my job, and that I was the person who was supposed to have that. And again, this only comes a time when you realize, like, had I, at that young age, perhaps slipped into the role of global Adidas ambassador, I may not have been able to come, become Catherine. Instead, I would have been labeled as this Adidas girl. And that gave me the space to grow into who I am and what my message is and what I want to offer instead of slapping a brand on me. And, and not, not to say that having a brand is a bad thing, but sometimes you hide underneath it. And it's just easier to be like, I work for ESPN or I work for Adidas or you know the, whatever it is that makes you feel special and important. When if you strip that away, like what is it that makes you feel important? You're like, well, I work for this big company. You're like, yeah, but what is it about you if you take the company away that matters? So... For me, success is not a resume. It's not, I'm on this list, or I've written these books, and they were important, and they were a bestseller, or whatever titles you want to have. It's like, as an individual, what are you putting into the collective that you know no one else can do like you can? Right? There's always going to be someone who can do what I'm doing better, period. I know that's the truth, but no one can do it in the way that I do it. It's impossible. Right? The, what's the, um, I haven't said it in so long. It used to be one of my favorite quotes, the Oscar Wilde quote, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Sassy little man. I loved him. Um, but, it, you know, it is just that in this day and age of swiping and being able to look at what everyone is doing at any given moment, the comparison game is just so outrageous. So I think we're losing the scope of what we actually want to do as individuals versus what we're trying to do to keep up with everyone else. And whatever we can do as much as possible to bring that back in and figure out what lights us up. Like, a big contract at ESPN wasn't what was lighting Kate up, but being at home and spending two to three hours a day working on a fiction novel that she's working on right now, I've never seen her happier. And that's not paying the bills or, you know, it's not giving her accolades right now, but it's making her happy. And obviously we need to pay the bills too, but I think just trying to find what that is that you look forward to yeah. is successful. Yeah. I love that. Oh, I love that. I was going to say I love that. This is why I love you. 
I'm really sorry about the Rainbow Mars. <laughs> I have or nothing Rainbow. against Rainbow Mars. No, I'm saying not... my 23-year-old me was not okay with yeah. Rainbow Mars. No, I wanted to add that it's I think so embarrassing. No. <laughs> I think that's so great. That's yeah. how you openly talk about like yeah. wishing that she didn't get it, but you... I like, was an asshole. Yeah, I admit it. I admit no, it. but I wanted to add that I think Catherine and I both were worshipping like at the altar of like work. Yeah. And we didn't realize it until like two or three years ago. And I... And I think a lot of, a lot of, I see this among a lot of our kids too, this idea of like work as a religion and that it will give you the benefits and it will fill the hole in you that once religion played and community used to play and hopefully we can find a way to kind of build that back in. Now I think we've grown a generation of kids that believe that work will fulfill them. And I, we were part of that generation, and I think now I'm like, and, it, and I and I still slip back into it, but now I'm like trying to find things in my life that fulfill me, that like I have control over, and that are intrinsic, and that are about love and the people around me. But like I didn't care about that, and we help each other, you know. I mean, like mm-hmm. I, growing up, it was just like I'm gonna I'm gonna get into a top twenty five basketball program, and then I'm gonna like get the job, and like I I didn't care as much. It was really, like, I, and I think a lot, we've, we've grown a lot of our kids to think that way, too. Yeah. And I, I was, like, at age 34, I have to realize that, like, work won't fulfill you. And that's crazy mm-hmm. that we're not teaching that all along the way. Mm-hmm. Does anyone like Neil Gaiman, American Gods? I, I like him. Just the concept of worship, and if not, yeah, thank you. If not, it's definitely worth your time to pick that up. The, the concept of gods only exist if you worship them. And he tackles the concept of old Norse gods and then the new gods that are media and tech and whatnot. So that idea of like where we put our attention and what you worship comes to life and will continue to grow. And so not necessarily in the religious aspects, but it's a good question to ask yourself what you worship. We all worship something, our beauty, our success, our money. Like what is it that you are worshiping on a regular basis? And is that making you sick or is that making you happy? So then... When you guys are, like, as part of you, of, of you leaving SBN and both of you moving back to Charleston, does that have, do you have, like, personal goals together since you just got married, or do you have, you know, I wish that Ashi could have made it. But I love Ashi. Are going to fixate on Rainbow way. Mars? <laughs> so, um, who, who wants to... Start? Wait. To get that on that question. Oh, about the Ashi? Oh, or about... No, our girl. personal goals. It's oh. a new life, because actually, I don't... Yeah, your new life. I didn't realize you had moved back there until like a couple months after it actually popped. I'm going to give this to you to redeem yourself there. <laughs> no, I feel good about what I said. <laughs> Ashi, if you're listening right now, <laughs> she's at middle pause. Oh. Um, so, yeah, we um, are, are we talking? Yeah, we're, we're trying to start a family. Um, oh, you are? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We, how many, do, what are we, are we? Well, we can't have a baby that, like, you know, we, I mean, what do you, yes. Well, we don't need to have an anatomical <laughs> lesson of why we can't have a baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty sure we've all got that one figured out. Um, no, but we, we started the process of, we're going to give it a go. If that doesn't work, we're looking into the adoption process. But we, uh, we're definitely in a, a phase in our life where we are, Still continuing to create. We have a, a, a book that we want to co-author together that we're write, uh, writing a proposal for right now, which is exciting, but 
we're trying to reprioritize our family um, and to be there for our family and to also be there and create the space to create our own right now. You know, it's really hard when you realize that like all of like the things they tell you growing up, like the cliches and stuff are, are true. And not just the cliche, like, you know, sky's blue stereotype thing, but like, you know, I don't think I loved my family for so long. Like my, my mom, my dad, my sister is like, but like, I never prioritized them. And then you get older and then you realize, and then you're like, what is actually important in life? And so I think what, what is principal to my life going forward is like rejuvenating those relationships. And I don't think they were ever thirsty in any way, but I, I know that I wasn't putting my best energy into it. And that would be whatever significant, you know, like other people that I've seen before Catherine, I didn't put the kind of effort I put in now, my relationship with my parents, like, there's a lot of different things that I think are priorities now. And like you feel, I like, I feel a little bit like a cliche when it comes to that, but it's just the most rewarding thing I'm doing right now. So yeah. We're getting a new refrigerator and a new range this week. And it's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are those people. We're excited about a refrigerator and a range. Very Cooking exciting. and eating and Netflix. Right? Important. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the important thing. Uh, okay, so I guess we're kind of working backwards then as far as like personal questions. Um, so what was that what was that decision like to uproot from New York and head to because you were living in New York too, right, Catherine? I was in Charleston and then moved to Brooklyn and we moved into an apartment okay. together. Okay. Well actually, okay, I take it back. Let's start with um, how did the two of you become a thing? <laughs> When I was at ESPN every year, we had an ESPNW Women in Sports Summit, and I moderated some panels at the event, and Under Armour sponsored the event. It was out in California, and Catherine was sponsored by Under Armour. So Catherine was there on behalf of Under Armour, teaching classes to the attendees of this summit. So that is where we met, and we met, um, actually the first time we met, was he like a week before Catherine got married because Catherine used to be married to a man. And so, <laughs> so that's what, then we first met, but it wasn't until the following year that we actually connected. Um, so that was, you know, it, and there's a lot of complications within that. <laughs> Still married. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, that was when we kind of like connected and started just, just chatting and talking was that second time. Um, and then, it gets messy from there. But not like that. Not like that. But anyway, I'm going to give this back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. I have a follow-up question. Um, but it lost, it oh, did you think that story would be longer? No, uh, I think I did. I was trying to not. It is a lot longer. Well, I was trying not to do that thing where you're thinking of what to say next yeah. to the person in. You're trying to be present. Yeah, but when you're like asking questions, you have to sort of also do both. Um, so... I know what it was. Uh, how, how? What is it like to know that that's the person for you? Because I haven't experienced that yet. And I'm curious, what was that like? And how did you know? Well, I wanted to add an interesting part of our courting process. So there's a lot of interesting parts that we probably won't divulge tonight. But um, So I, I was still married 
when I met Kate, and it was already crumbling. And I want to say two months after I met Kate, I was separated. And it turns out in the lovely state of South Carolina that you have to be separated for a full year legally before you can divorce someone. So just in case you decide to get married in South Carolina, keep that in mind. Um, but, th- th- but this is the thing. This was the silver lining of the situation. So you're legally separated. And it was a combination of legalities and also I didn't want to poke the bear. And also it takes two people to be in a marriage. It takes two people to be in a divorce. And whether or not you like each other, you hope that there's some semblance of respect that you can still maintain while untangling the tie that you originally knotted yourself. And um, because of that, we were not sharing anything about our relationship on social media. There was no lovey-dovey posting pictures and this and that and pushing and, like, hashtag my woman and stuff like that. And, um, which, you know, when you fall in love and you have this tool and you can take pictures and you can tell the world and sing from the rooftops that you love someone, that's a wonderful feeling to have. And we wanted to share, but the thing that was so beautiful about the situation is it allowed us to just fall in love with each other without anyone else's expectations on us. And our family knew, all of our dear friends knew, so it wasn't something... Because I, I was in this state of, like, people are going to think that I'm trying to be closeted. People are going to think that I... Like, I don't want anyone to think I have shame around this. Like, that, it wasn't a sexuality issue for me at all. It was just a complicated... Complications issue. And by the time we finally shared with the world through social media, it just... We were whole. We were already so comfortable with each other. And that was a very special experience that I don't think many people get to experience in this day and age. And I see people start dating and break up and dating and break up online. I'm like, oh, that's so uncomfortable for the person and to watch too. Because you, you want to root for people. You want them to be happy. But then there's also like, ooh, free drama. You know? <laughs> you gotta like tune in to, to the soap opera on your phone. So I was very grateful for that experience for the two of us. One thing, I, it still happens to this day, if someone suggests that Catherine, quote-unquote, came out or was once hiding who she was, and now that we're together, all of a sudden, well, she was always gay, but she didn't know it, and now she's gay. Like, you can, well, I would love if you would address that, because I feel like that's kind of, like, a thing right. that you, like... Well, I, I feel like that's the response of someone who doesn't truly understand the spectrum of sexuality. And... Uh, I don't take offense to it. I just want to sit that person down and educate them that love is a spectrum and it's fluid and it's not a like, oh, when did you find your truth? I'm like, I didn't find my truth. I found my person. And she happens to be a woman. It's that simple. Like, this is the love of my life and that's that. And and then there's also the complications of, I mean, Kate wrote an entire autobiography about it, about her coming out experience when she was younger and all the trials and tribulations that she went through. And so I I also just don't feel comfortable with that because I'm like, I didn't experience that pain of feeling like I couldn't be myself and feeling like I I couldn't open up. And I know so many people and friends that have, and I, it makes me frustrated. People are like, Oh, was that hard? I'm like, no, that's not me. But that, that is a real thing. (laughs) That is a very real thing. And And the crazy thing about our relationship, I think, is because I had struggled in the coming out process, and it was a totally different time in our culture, you know, in like 2003, and I, you know, my parents weren't as great about it as I want them to be. 
wanted them to be, and now they're obsessed, you know, with, they don't, it's not even a thing. Um, so even when I, Catherine and I started seeing each other, and this probably still happens, like, I want to drop her hand if I, I, if I think we're in a weird area, or if I, I have this thing ringing in my ear still about, like, I, I was seeing someone in college, and they would never, like, do anything that seemed, quote-unquote, gay if there were children around. And so, like, I have all these, like, um, artifacts of that. And Catherine, I mean, she, like, told her parents and, like, she just, it was, you know, wasn't, and her parents were older, right? They're 75, so I'm, like, freaking out. And they live in South Carolina. You know, I'm like, now we have to tell your 75-year-old Southern parents that you are. They're not from South Carolina. Right, but still. So I'm, like, I think what has always been one of, like, the greatest things about Catherine is that when it came to our relationship, I mean, she just forced me to just really address all of like the internalized bullshit that I still had that I thought I shouldn't have because I'd like written a book about it. And like, I talked about it on ESPN and stuff, but I still had all these small little things and Catherine would make them so glaring to me. Because, like, I would try to add, like, it still happens. Like, if we're, like, holding hands or something, I'm, like, trying to get off of her hand. <laughs> and she will not let it happen. I mean, because she knows why I'm doing it sometimes. Oh, yeah. She's the one who's, Now like, I have the radar like, for it. Yeah, like, if I see people approaching and I'm, like, a little concerned and I'm all... <laughs> she's like, no. I read recently... Not in a, you know, not in a dangerous way for, like, you know... Because we were in Russia, like we weren't doing that in Russia. In yeah. Russia, it turns out you can legit go to jail for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so but the World Cup was great. So we have soccer there. The soccer All politics aside, yeah. very pretty architecture. Well, you had also recently said in one of your posts you did a selfie with Catherine at JFK, and you said that you felt self-conscious. Yeah, yeah, but that is a that, but that's a that is a social media issue. Because I saw it, I was feeling self-conscious about because I was doing a selfie. selfie. <laughs> I was like, yes, the selfie. Yes, I think doing a selfie, selfie is ridiculous, okay. like in public when you do a selfie. So when I posted that, I was like self-conscious about this selfie, but we're off to I don't know where we're off to. Then the uh, first I comment was like, that. "Girl, you be yourself." Or and I'm like, "No." Oh. Like, so no, I doesn't like to be photographed. Yeah, so I edited it right away. I oh, love it. Yeah, I don't think I found it. <laughs> I do. I think being gay is awesome. I just had the, I had some artifacts of like, and you know, anyone. I, I'm just, people have artifacts of their childhood for lots of different reasons, and those were mine. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot around the language. I think also, I I would have been interested if I had been raised. And my parents are amazing. And this is not something that I put on my parents, but I just would. I, I would be fascinated. If we raise our children in a way where it's like. It's not pink means girl, blue means boy, girls do that, girls bake cakes, boys play soccer, and you're going to get your prince and you're going to get your princess. You know, it's just like so ingrained in everything that we get from before we can even speak. And I would just be so fascinated. And I, I do think we are moving in that direction just to raise children. To, it, it's not a gender thing. And it, it is gender fluidity. And if a boy wants to put on makeup, a boy can put on makeup. And if a girl wants to wear Jordans, that's a bad example. But I just said that because I'm. Well, looking at your I don't know. I feel like we're I feel like we're hi- we're hijacking the conversation. But I want to add. Yeah, I like the hijack. I want to add. Oh, I sorry. This is important. No, 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 no. I was going yeah. to add more to it that I think like 
I have a lot of issues still about people assuming that I do the things that a boy would do in a relationship or like, I really, Oh, I don't know if I have issues or everyone else has issues that they assume I'm doing the things that like, uh, because I have short hair and, that's how they view the relationship, but I, I get, get really all prickly. The in the house. I get, I get you really, do? yeah. Safely, I transport them outside. If I see a bug, I am out. I'm not touching a bug. No, 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 I don't do that. <laughs> I don't touch bugs. But like, I, I just, there's certain things where I'm like, uh, the way people view every relationship, they have to have like the proxy of like, oh, well, this the is the, the you know, the man and the woman. That's how they have to view it. And I get really prickly over it. Like, even when Catherine said earlier um, something about, like, oh, the courtship process. Like, this weird thing happened in my mind where I'm like, bet everybody thinks that I had to court Catherine. Or, you know, I don't know what anyone thought, right? I have no idea what you actually thought, but I thought that you would think that. And then I was like, let it go, let it go. Because, you know, it, but it's like all of these weird things that um, I think oh, I'm still trying to process, even at 37 years old. And I think it's hard in the world still, because there's still a lot, I think we're so much better about it, but I still, still far away. Yeah. So then are you saying that you're self-imposing the prickly thoughts in your head? No, I think they're real. Or do you feel like tension? No, because people say all the time Mm -hmm. stuff about, well, almost everyone who asked about us getting married kind of insinuated that I had proposed. Right? A little bit. And who did, by the way? We didn't. We just we went didn't. to Barney's we just, and we bought rings. Yeah. <laughs> we just, like, both kind of... Because you knew we were going to be together. Well, we just knew we wanted to marry each other, and we didn't need to, like, get down on one knee or... Both a- of us at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... And not to say that there's anything wrong with, a like, a romantic proposal story. That's fantastic. But it just... This is my personal, like, there... Yeah. You know, obviously, this is my own... I think some of it is my own shit, but it, I had my luggage. My luggage. <laughs> oh, embarrassing. That is such a Catherine. I had my baggage. Which luggage baggage? Same thing, right? Yeah. I had my baggage, too, bag. because I had just gotten divorced. So I had interesting sentiments towards the concept of marriage in general. And I didn't know if it was something that I believed in and if it was something that I wanted to go through again. So just to be fair, yeah. I feel like yeah. that was a lot of my I'm sorry. I, think, I know we just hijacked. For no, you're not hijacking anything. I love this. Oh, okay. I love this. Please don't, yeah, please don't oh. feel that way. <laughs> you want to know more about what things that go through my mind? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I do want to ask this just because I think it's so important for anyone that might listen to the podcast. Um, I wanted to ask, so I actually wrote it down because I thought the um, the caption on your book, Reappearing Act, which mm-hmm. I would have loved to have read, read, but again, I started and I had a hard time because it wasn't your voice. Just a little bit of feedback. If you I don't know who they had. It's the Kate something, but it's not, uh, it's not Kate. Oh, it's a different Kate. Different Kate. But she has her name. Yeah. Kate something Close else. Same, yeah. same. So the cover of your book says, coming out as gay on a college basketball team led by born-again Christians. It's a and team. I think that, like, I, I, I've even talked to so many people in San Diego. So we started this project that the money that this event's going towards is our anti-bullying and LGBTQ education in elementary schools, which I'm so, so excited about. We started this about a year ago. And um, our, like our yoga event last year, all the money went towards that as well. This is too. And, um, and I've talked to, I had so many people come up to me in yoga and just in general and like openly share their trauma of coming out and how um, horrible it was for them. 
And so that's why I think this is such a useful conversation. That's why I love that you guys have hijacked it in that manner. <laughs> and so I wanted to hear from you, Kate. Like, I just want to hear a little bit more about that because I didn't read the book, as you know. Right. And um, I think that it could be useful information and insight for people to hear, like, what you went through or, or what you feel like sharing that's pertinent from your experience. Yeah. Well, um, you read the subhead of the book, I which did. I did not want on the book. Um, one, I, I, I think they wanted to say like coming out as lesbian. That's another conversation. Like I don't, I, the word lesbian, I think is a whole conversation to have. <laughs> um, but so the, you know, the book is about when I play college basketball, we happen to have like five or six born again Christians on our team, but it was university of Colorado Boulder. It's a party school, you know, it's a skiing school. We just happen to have a lot of kids. And I, and it became the social thing to do on our team. So I got myself caught, you know, I'm like this sarcastic upstate New Yorker who like wasn't like raised Catholic, but not really. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like going to Bible study twice a week. (laughs) And I, it was like my best friends on the team all like, they all sort of the same time decided they wanted to like become fundamentalist Christians. And I just wanted to spend time with them. So that's what I did until sort of like after a year of it. And the whole time I'm kind of like, I think I'm kind of gay, but I didn't really have any impetus to actually make a decision on who I was because I hadn't met anybody. And you could kind of just, at the time, I I thought it would be a very bad thing to be. So I was just kind of like, let's just kick that can down the road. And then I met someone and it was during that, you know, it was during college, and I was a born-again Christian when I met this woman. She ran track and field um, at Colorado. And um, so I went, so I, I was going through all the turmoil. Um, but the, so the book, though, it may sound really serious, but you can kind of see the inherent comedy and, in, like, being in a Bible study but kind of secretly thinking you're gay. I mean, like, it, it was very funny as well in retrospect. So the book is really a coming of age story, which is back, like, which is why I didn't want that subhead, because I wanted it placed in a coming of age stories, not the LGBT section, not because I also didn't want it in the LGBT section, but I didn't like I wanted it to be something that not just people who were college women's basketball players who thought they were gay would read, which is what's turned out like that book is read predominantly in the women's college basketball world. Which is great, and I think it's important because it's talking about closeting and women's sports and like hyperfeminizing yourself to like convince everybody you can't, you're not gay. So it's like that's what a lot of the book ends up being, you know, like where it finds its audience, which is all very important to me. But I also, you know, wanted it to be something that like a lot of kids would read even outside of women's college basketball. But so that was that first book that I wrote. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the word lesbian now? That first. Question. <laughs> Kim's like, eh, next question. <laughs> now. So did I? Did I, I yeah. Did I answer that? Okay, right. Let's go. Let's move. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I was looking. What, what I what I was looking for is like, what would you? This is gonna a little bit cliche, but what would you tell someone that was looking for something to like give them? a little bit more of a pathway. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I was, that's what yeah. I was curious about. Yeah, well, I think a, a big, um, the one thing that I didn't have that it took me a very long time to get was trust. Mm-hmm. I just, just, 
I just assume the worst about everyone around me. And I kind of, I learned that. And I think I learned that specifically in my world. It was because I was surrounded by thousands of women's college basketball coaches who 50% were lying about who they were. I mean, there's this thing in women's college basketball that it's like, it's called the dual closet. And you have like the one closet that uh, filled with clothes that you wear on the weekend when you're around your friends. And then you have the other closet that you wear when you're at your job coaching. And, and it's like, cause your, your life is so separate. And so that like that to me, like that really inherently told me when I was in high school and then in college that like not, don't trust anyone around you. Don't trust them with this information. And I think that most kids, hopefully it's better now, you know, most kids are probably in the nineties and two thousands, probably getting that kind of messaging, but maybe it wasn't basketball with some other forum. And so for me, it's, it's like always when I talk to young kids, I'm like the, the second you empower yourself to trust everyone around you and don't tell them the information if it's, you know, whatever you're telling them. Mm-hmm. Don't tell them as if you have cancer, which is what I was doing. You know, it was like, oh, sit down for this. Right, right. You know, I know this is bad, but I'm gay. You know, instead be like, mm. yo, motherfuckers, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, yeah. I so the trust that. thing, I, I think, that. you know, the way you, the way you empower yourself to... Yeah, so I hopefully. love that. I love that part. I think I take that too, just in general with my life. Like, you know, versus yeah. the way you are with something. Yeah, just instantly normalize it for them. So, something, uh, Catherine, that you had pointed out uh, when you were talking about your. So, first of all, stand up so everyone can see your amazing outfit, your Kira Grace so, collection. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine, Catherine is a fashion designer as well. And she's designed her t-shirt and her pants. And something that you said that I thought was really cool is that you had talked, I, um, I might do a lot of context, but you had talked about um, that when your clutching came out, it was like, oh my God, let's get it in Nordstrom, and let's get it here, and let's get it there. And you talked about like creating, like why do we always have to make something the biggest that it can possibly be, and then feel like we're, feel like we're failing if it doesn't turn out to be that way. So... I wanted to hear a little bit about that sort of conversation because I think that we all have this idea and it kind of falls along with like the social media aspect of it too, but this idea of that we have to be like the best and the biggest Mm -hmm. or we're failing in life and we're not cool enough or we're not this or not that. And so, um, yeah, so. Yeah. That's another one of our favorite topics, scaling. <laughs> yeah, the, the obsession yeah. with the word scaling. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, obsessed with you have to grow your business. Yeah. You have to grow your career. It it's always has to be the constant evolution. Evolution's a good word. Actually, hopefully we're always evolving. But I actually have a very specific answer to that. When um, So the, the woman I designed with, the company's called Kira Grace. She's actually out of San Diego. And she's been a dear friend of mine. She's a small, independent-run yoga and fitness uh, athletic company and I have wanted to design for a really long time when I was with underwear they based, uh, where I was with underwear when I was with <laughs> <laughs> under armor you guys very slip underwear under armor I, yeah. I don't know I don't know <laughs> the point is I didn't design underwear <laughs> I designed they basically let me take their t-shirts and I had a graphic designer create in true shirts which is uh, the, my brand and so that was the closest that I really got. 
<laughs> so when I reached out to Kira, because she's this independent, made in America, female owned business, all the things that I love. And I was like, hey, I really want to design, but I don't want you to make something and slap my name on it. I actually want to design the clothes or, you know, have as much input as possible. And she said, sure. And she let me come on. And I realized creating a collection, one, you don't just make pretty things. There needs to be uh, a congruity that, you know, they all need to come together to tell a story. And, and people, when you look at the, th- and maybe if you look at the things that you buy, if you relate to this, Yes, there's just like sparkly, pretty, ooh, I must have that kind of things. Like we walked by, what did you call it? It was like an Ikea for kitschy things. We walked by something that was like everything like was colorful. Yeah, Copenhagen. Style. Everything that you don't need in life but that you want to buy. Yeah. You know, it's the stuff that just the clutter. Anyway, I digress again. So you, I, I will buy things when I relate to them. Or I will buy things when there's a story behind it and I feel connected to it. And I realized with this collection, like it, it can't just be this is stuff that I want to wear. This needs to be... There needs to be a connection behind it. And for me, I'm five foot two. And my struggle with life is that all yoga pants are way too long on me. And or they get really baggy around the ankle, which turns yes. out it's not cute on me. I mean, I just my ankles are one of my best features and I don't need them to be all gobbled up in clothing. Um, <laughs> don't take away the ankles. And as I get older, my boobs keep getting bigger. It's just this like fun thing that's been <laughs> happening to me. And I just feel like I need this like military style sports bra sometimes to not feel like they're just going everywhere when I work out. I mean, I, when I was with under armor, not underwear, I actually <laughs> had one of the poses they used of me. It's this pose called Ashvakrasana, which if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just think like you're doing a push up basically and your legs are swinging off and doing this. And it turns out when you're at a 90 degree angle and if you have a bigger chest, like you're going to have cleavage. It's just going to be, there's nowhere to put them, you know? And I used to get so much shit from people being like, you're sexualizing yoga. And why are you doing this? I'm like, I have nowhere to put them in that pose. Like that's not me sexualizing it. That's my body. And how dare you tell me that my body isn't okay. And so it was just this, I wanted to create a bra where women or anyone with a chest that they wanted to be able to cover it up and, and feel comfortable and not feel like they're all over the place, but still not feel like it's just bandaged up. That was my goal. So I wanted to create a bra that made people feel good, but was versatile in size and then pants that like, if you are in the shorter category, you feel like you're represented too. And we can all show our ankles together. Um, <laughs> and I just put a lot of passion behind that. And so there was a story that was created with the line and, this kind of camaraderie that started to happen with the, 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 the shorty, well-endowed people. And um, I know, random, but and it, I reached a point where I didn't need it to be financially super successful. I just wanted to know that it worked. Like, I wanted people to get the line, and I wanted it to work, and I wanted people to get back to me and be like, I love this bra, I wear it all the time. I love these pants, I wear them all the time. I feel good when I put this on. And that's what happened with it. I mean, you know, we got some not three-star reviews to whatever. You can't please everybody, it turns out. But that was, I had to set my heart there because I knew if I set my heart on, I want to be a chop off and I want to be at Nordstrom's and I want to be in this and that. Like, okay, your first collection probably isn't going to end up mainstream like that and focus on the people that you're trying to reach. And if you feel like you're connecting with the consumer and you're giving them what they're looking for, that's a really satisfying feeling. It's a super satisfying feeling. That was such a great way to navigate that feeling of having to like 
step everything up. But to be fair, there's always a little piece of me that is ambitious and wants more. Always. And I, I just, and sometimes it gets the better of me. And then sometimes I just, I give my emotions permission to live and throw their tantrums. And then I try to bring it back into, okay, what is important? You know, a financial flop, but people like it. Cool. At least people like it, but it would have been really nice to make some money too. Sure. You know, I think there's also this concept with how do we find balance and how do we get better? It's not an all or nothing. You know, we can get better and be more conscious about being kind to ourselves in situations and still have that little demon who's like nagging on you. It's always going to be there. Like, I, I think when we try to totally wipe it out, that's crazy talk, and then we start to, to lose it. So be okay with, I mean, it's so cliche, but be okay with not being perfect. But really focusing, just remember what matters, and then let the demon dance, and then go back and see what matters, and then, okay, we got an intermission with the tap dance, and then go back. It's just this little, but it gets smaller and smaller, and then it's just like a little ant tap dancing. The scaling thing, I, I just feel like, I think we've all, we all now are getting everything top down from like Silicon Valley. This is my new thing, you know, whether it's like outrage on our phones, like we are like the way that our online world is designed is just messing with us in ways we don't even know. And I think one of them is like this concept, like every, I feel like everyone now wants to scale everything and like whatever happened to just making your little corner great, you know? I remember, like, I did a story with Diana Taurasi once, and she's, like, a famous women's basketball player and doesn't do social media and, like, has lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because of it because a lot of brands were like, you got to grow your social media. And she's just like, no, I want to make what's around me great. That's all I care about is making what's around me great. And the second I start posting on Instagram what my ball handling routine is, it will inevitably siphon away from my actual ball handling routine. And it's true. I mean, I see Catherine and she doesn't do this a ton, but like if she's doing an hour yoga practice and she wants to, cause she's got to fulfill like the, the Instagram beast at times, like, and she interrupts her yoga practice to set up a camera, you know, it's like, that is to me is the physical representation of siphoning off like your, that like innate human wondrous moment of like losing time when you love doing something and you lose time. And we don't like, I just find that harder and harder to find. And to me, part, like part of that, you know, is this I, is idea of like getting away from just making everything around you great and being like, okay, I can't just have a great like bakery. I have to have a bakery that can be replicated on every corner in America. Right. Right. And, no, what if I want to make great cookies for my community? It's like, well, that's not, you know, that's not enough. And I think you gotta go bigger always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, was the question, sorry, the original question, like, about leaving ESPN and kind of my identity with that? Yeah, in terms of, like, then what's your next big thing if right. we're already in the big thing? So yeah. Leaving the big thing. That's an interesting question, too, isn't it? What's yeah. the next big thing? Yeah. Like, what if the next thing isn't big? Then yeah. That, I don't, yeah. That's yeah. not yeah. you at all. Yeah. That's no, not you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, um... So... I, like I'm, I'm writing this novel right now and it's my two favorite things in the world are apocalypse movies and futuristic movies. Like I will watch black mirror and oh, like any apocalypse so movie. Good. Like if, if it doesn't matter, yeah, like I am in, it can get 20% on Rotten Tomatoes and like, I'm going to watch it. Um, <laughs> so I'm just writing a book that is blending those two things. It's like, it's totally plot driven. And you know, during the process of writing, it, I'm like halfway through 
I all the time I'll be like, I wonder if I, if, I hope they turn this into a movie, right? Like, you know, oh, yeah. I'm like, I got to finish it sooner so I can send it and see if, you know, and then if I sell them, we can sell the movie rights. And then, and then I realized that like I've chased that idea before and it was so vacant. I mean, we can tell that story of like, anyway, that's just a weird aside that I just said, but, um, and <laughs> And I was like, but I'm actually, what I love about it is that, like, I wake up and I, like, I have this thing that I want to do. And it, it gives my day some sense of purpose that, yeah. like, it, it gives my day routine, which provides me a sense of mental health. And, like, that is the benefit of the writing. And that I lose time when I do it. And so I'm trying to be, I'm not great at it, right? Like, like, like Catherine said with the tap dancing ant thing. It's like, the, like yeah, I still occasionally will be like, right, right. but maybe they can learn it into a movie, you know, like, <laughs> and of course I still think that to some degree, but I really am trying to like rein it back in yeah. and be like, but I, but I love what it's providing for me in my life. And I love that part of it. And I have to like focus on that part. Anyway, the, the aside that I was saying to Catherine was that like, so what made Maddie run? You know, I was lucky enough that. You know, I had ESPN, so I had that platform, and like they put it. You know, I got to do Sports Center and stuff, and then um, we, I got to do the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. So like the the book, the book made the New York Times bestseller list for for one week. And th- well, thanks. That was, but so this is what what happened was, and it, it, this I think was a huge turning point for me was that the the minute that it made the list, literally my agent calls and it was like you made the list. The next, you know, the next email to come in said, well, let's get higher on it next week. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm done. Like, I, I was, I'm, like, done with this game. Because I instantly, three minutes after making the New York Times bestseller list, already had a new goal. Which was to make sure that it went from, because it was, like, barely made the list to, like, number eight. And then, like, and all of a sudden, I just was like, I'm never going to win. I'm never going to win. Cause like, what if it did grow up to eight? Then what would the next email be? Like you keep growing it. And I like, it just would have never ended. And so I think in that moment, some part of me was just like, I am done with that. I'm done with thinking that like, cause I had thought for years that moment, you know, not the New York times thing, but like having the book come out would satisfy some hole in my heart. And, and it like, it didn't in any way. In fact, it made me feel shitty. And so I was like, all right, I have to, you know, I have to really refocus on like what I'm interested in and what brings me joy because this is like Did it painful. make you feel shitty because you were like, what next? Or was it the, the pressure of being from your agent? Yeah. Well, so the thing is, is like, in a, you know, maybe this is born because like book speak, but like, I think we, we have so many metrics with everything these days that like, I can every hour know what it's ranked on Amazon if I wanted to. And it's like, what ended up happening was like, it got up to 17. And then when it, when the next time I refreshed it, it was 19. I was upset. Mm, I can tell you, you know, so, but it was like, but if it just, and it would have been never ending. And I, I like, I can relate that to any part of my life, not just having a book out, but it just became this thing that I was like, oh, I've, oh, I've attached my identity to that thing. And I have no control over that thing. And Can, can I tell sorry. them what you said about the class you took today? The flywheel class? 
Oh, yeah, what did I say? Oh, no, Gago, I love metrics. Is she... Oh. You love numbers. <laughs> I love numbers. Kate had a, a very busy week and didn't get a lot of sleep, but she loves spin classes, so she went and took a flywheel class today. And I get a message from her being... And she's like, I think this is going to make me feel better. And I message her afterwards, are you feeling better? I don't know. I think maybe I, you know, I pushed too hard. That was too much. But I came in second anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I don't know what. She's my, like, I was so tired. It's I the know, worst I've ever done. But I came in second. No, but that's not quite fair because I would have only said that to you. But now it's still. <laughs> and it wasn't anyway. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Numbers. So, uh, okay, so. Um, you're so special. Do you believe that you are what you eat? And if you do, what, what are you? I always go back and forth if you are what you eat, because I eat some pretty bad food. Um, it's a fascinating question, and I'm not going to get into it because this would be an entire different interview, but I'm reading Eating Animals right now. Um, and it's... Eating Animals? Yeah. Okay. It, um... It's, it, it's intense. He's a phenomenal writer, and it's not pro-vegetarian. It's, he has letters from factory farmers. He has letters from uh, PETA. I mean, he has all the different perspectives and all of his research. It's really fascinating take, and he just happens to be a wordsmith as well. And uh, so this is just a very fascinating question for me right now because I have been vegetarian and not vegetarian and vegetarian and not vegetarian off and on my entire life, and it's something that I've really struggled with so that question's like hitting me really deep right now I'm like I don't know <laughs> um I uh but beyond that topic I do um I love food yeah. and I I don't love limitations I don't love rules that being said I, I do we eat very healthy food um not because we cut things out, but we're just eating really clean, non-processed. I cook everything, and I see every single ingredient that goes into our food, and we're very lucky in that way. Um, but we will pound a pizza and get soft-serve ice cream and frozen margaritas, and there's no shame in that. Like, that's that's some of my best memories ever is just... <laughs> so I guess in the sense that I do feel like I, I live a very balanced way. I don't, yeah. I don't believe yeah. in... I don't believe in restricting food as punishment or to achieve an aesthetic. I, I spent eight years of my life in L.A. where I was told that was the way, and it, it really messed me up. And so I, I'm also that personality after the, the L.A. experience where they're like, do you want the, the piece of kale or do you want the piece of pizza? I'll eat the pizza pizza like just to make a point out of it, you know, yeah. where I'm like, I want the pizza. <laughs> just because I get so angry when there's this punishment associated yeah. with this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I have a question that um, I was debating if I wanted to ask it to you, but I was really, really, really intrigued when you talked one time about um, this for you, Catherine. When you talked one time about how when you were young, like younger, being Catherine, you were really selfish, and how you would just go after whatever you wanted to, regardless of who got in your way. Mm-hmm. And I was so touched by you sharing that. I, I was actually like inspired in this really weird way. I was like, yay, because. It's, I think it's, like, such a human thing to talk about is, like, being so... kind of goes back to how you wish that that one girl wasn't doing so well. We've got the... the Sorry. Rainbow I, I Mars. Rainbow, yeah. <laughs> so, you no, guys, I'm going to 
gonna get a letter from her. I love name. you so much because you just talk like a like a like a human being, like how we talk. Yeah, like you know what's crazy about Catherine is that whenever you do those questions, like what's your you know the biggest skeleton in your closet, or <laughs> I'll tell you, you know what's your grossest <laughs> habit. Everyone gives their number four, you know, yeah. like, yeah. you don't That's really, right. yeah, yeah. like, what's the worst quality about you? Like, either you're not self-aware enough, or, like, you really can't go there. Every time you ask Catherine these types of questions, she, like, gives it to you. Like, what she's, <laughs> like, the way she answered that, because I remember the one you're talking about, yeah. I mean, you can, I don't know, I'm yeah. sorry to, to, to interject with your, no, your no, question, no, but, like, interject. Ka- Catherine, like, she always gives you her number one, and I'm like, you don't give, you're not supposed to give me your number one. <laughs> this is crazy. So, yes. I, like, never give the number one. Like, I'm ashamed or yeah. embarrassed or... But, yes, you. The, the, I think your answer was about your selfishness. Yes, yeah, but I, yes. I feel like I just, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I remember listening to that and thinking, wait, who the hell says that? Yeah. And, like, like out loud to the world. I'm yeah. like, that is, she's so fucking badass. Yeah. Like, I love her. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a... If it's badass or I just was born without a filter, you know, it just, it just I, I, Do you want to tell people what your answer was? What, what my answer? What, 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 what the, the selfish, like this, what part? What was the most selfish thing? Yeah. That, like the, the part thing that you talked talk about on our podcast? Yes. That's what. <laughs> no, I, I, okay. I, uh, I was that, <laughs> this is awful. I, in a past life, AKA the one that I'm still living right now, um, if I would have the hots for someone, like I would just freaking like go for them. I, I don't know if you guys are going to like me after this, but it was just like, I didn't care if they were in a relationship. I didn't care what was going on. If I felt like we were simpaticos, like, and I was an asshole and that's that story and I feel like we really right, but like to... nobody says that I, yeah that's so great because I like oh my god I love the honesty and the authenticity well it's laced in shame obviously like to this day but when I think about shame, some though, of the... that's a thing everyone yeah. has shame. totally and it, and it, it, it hurts me to this day to think about the things that I true I don't know if it's therapeutic or not <laughs> so it was therapeutic for me because yeah. I thought oh my gosh like yeah. Kate, I have a question for you. It's kind of a silly question, but I'm just more so curious. Why do you respond to emails? <laughs> <laughs> I've always had to ask why. Because I am such a responder that when people don't, there's certain people in life that don't respond to things, and I'm curious, like how that works, because it's so hard for me to. Not I feel a lot of judgment. I feel a lot of judgment. No, I'm curious. Like, what's going on? I'm what's, curious. How does that, that feel for you? <laughs> Well, like, I have to ask her. Honestly, you guys talk about like not responding to things. How you're responding and not responding. So I'm just curious. right. And sometimes I can um, like outsource to Catherine. I'm like, can yeah. you respond to that thing? Um, I have a philosophical <laughs> argument uh-huh. for it. Yeah. I think that we're. I think we're all caught in just like bullshit superficiality. Yeah. That we like the business of actually like doing the thing that your brain could do if you tapped into it is never gets done anymore because you're just like sending emails and like you're never actually creating anything anymore you're just like sending 87 emails every day and i think that and then like you go home and you're like had a busy day and it's like but everyone is uniquely equipped to like produce something for the world and we're not getting to it anymore because we just end our day, and you're like, I sent seven tweets, I sent 42 emails, and you know who gets those 42 emails? I get one of them from you, right? And I'm trying to protect my own sense of, like, creation and space, because, like, 
because the the bar for reaching out now, and it's not just like you reached out and you like say something nice or anything. It's just email in general. The bar for communicating with someone used to be that you wanted to call them on the phone or you cared enough, you wrote a letter. And if that bar still exists, I would get one thousandth of the email that I get, mail that I get. And I would happily respond. If anyone ever wrote me a handwritten letter, I would respond to it. But like, I just think that the bar is like, I could spend 30 hours a week responding to email. And, you know, I, I read this book called Deep Work uh, once and like he had all of these philosophies of people who like really wanted to keep space and like do the thing that they love doing. And, you know, one of it is like to pay someone to answer your email. And the other of it is to just say, you know what, like that's, I, I'm not, your burden of sending me a thousand words. Like, do you know what I have to, like, you have to give back to that? It's so much of yourself. And I know that sounds, that sounds selfish now, but that's true. I just, they send you a heartfelt or right. And then it gets to a point where like my mom, my mom knows this about me for a while. And like, and I love this about having written what made Maddie run, but the emails that I get, they're so daunting to have to reply to Like it is someone's life story. And I just, I get paralyzed by that because I can't just write back. Thanks for your email. Right. You know, right. which like I can't just fill in that autoresponder. And so I put him in a folder and then all of a sudden it's like cleaning out your closet. And like, you know, and then my mom actually went through and like w- was she was really upset about this habit of mine. And she, you know, she responded to the one she could. <laughs> and then she sent them back to me if I needed to. And so I will say Aww. that, like, if someone sends me email like that, I will always find a way to respond. But the rest of it is just a bunch of bullshit to me. Sorry. I love no, I actually I love that. I've always just wondered like what happens in that yeah. moment when Um So I, I love that. But if people follow up and follow up, I will eventually tell them to stop. No, I'll <laughs> I'll continue ignoring. Actually, I you know unless it's something that I'm like I get the energy of what they're doing. But otherwise Write me a handwritten letter and I'll respond. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know anyone who wants to communicate, right? And that's when everyone's like, I wouldn't do that. Uh, Catherine, what keeps you up at night? Like, um, you just are so excited or you're so... It, um, probably losing people. Oh. Yeah. I didn't think you were going to say that. Okay. Yeah, no. Number one again. Number one, everybody. Always number one. <laughs> That's, that one makes sense, though. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah, that's very true. What keeps you up at night? Right now, it's the same thing, just because we have a lot going on, yeah. and that's, you know, just trying to figure out how you can be present for the people that you need to be present uh-huh. for. I mean, that's the main thing that, you know, keeps us up right now. Do you remember the moment when you started uh, choosing for yourself more truth? Ooh, tell me what you mean. Like, what, what is your headspace like when... Because I know for myself, sometimes I'll struggle with um, choosing what is my own truth versus choosing what feels the easiest way in that moment, as mm-hmm. one example. Uh, I, I have can, a, you, can you give us a specific example? Um, the journalist. I want to understand more. Yeah. I think I understand. I'll, I'll offer mine if it helps. Okay, yeah. if, if I'm you offer to... yours and then I can give mine help. Okay, I, I, I don't have my memory is crap. Like, if I ever wanted to write an autobiography, 
I'm always blown away when, when I read them. And they're like, in that time that I had dinner with George on a Tuesday, I'm like, what? How? But this memory was so crystal clear for me. And it was when I was deciding whether or not to separate from my ex-husband at the time. And if anyone in here has gone through a divorce, the decision to start that process and get divorced can legitimately feel like the end of the world. Um, and all these like fears come in, like I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. And I don't know if I'm going to have kids. I'm never going to find someone. Oh, it's like this crazy apocalyptic kind of cast of characters that come in. And I had a, a long conversation with one of my best friends who uh, divorced her husband after 15 years of finding out he had cheated on her 20 plus times throughout their entire marriage. So she was like very well equipped with pain when it came to that department. And I woke up the next morning and I remember saying out loud, like, I would rather be alone than be in this marriage. And it was just, <laughs> and, and, and that was like, I knew it was going to be a shit show. I knew it was going to be difficult, but to, to be able to like say that out loud, like I would rather be by myself. That was, that was it. And I feel like that, that was the, the, like, the turning of the tide for just, <laughs> screw it, I'm going to do, not, not you know, screen other people over, but like I'm going to make the decisions that I know are good for me, the hard decisions that are going to get me where I need to be. Well, so then I think it definitely would be ESPN for me. Um, you know, and I don't know if I read it before. The book is over there. It's called, no, it's right there. It's called When to Jump that white book and um i read i read that you know and i think i read it a little bit after i left espn but it's a whole book like filled with collections of stories for people of from people who like left some sort of security for something that was calling to them and oh you know and it was really it was just fascinating to read i mean it's written by this guy who left his job at like a um consulting investment bank to like go play racquetball professionally. Oh, wow. And, you know, so I just, so I, I'm not, that doesn't answer your question, but yes, for me, it was that ESPN moment. Um, when I stopped for, for in my case, stopped, um, living my life for the perception of what my, my life was. So what would, so so I'm curious, what were each of you like growing up and what, so for example, if you're not sure how to answer that, what would one of your elementary school teachers say about you? I was really shy until, yeah. Yeah, Catherine's actually really, she's really, she's shy in that a lot of times when we go out to dinner with people, like she does not want to be like, a lot of times she doesn't want to be talking a lot. She wants to listen just really kind of like reserved. Yeah. She's also a performer though. I, yeah. So it's I, like if there's a performance, then she's great. But if we're just living life, yeah, she's not like super outgoing. I was that kid. I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. So it's the Jayhawks. And I was afraid of the mascot. That's how bad it was. <laughs> like we would be at games and there's a picture of my mom holding me. I, I must be two or three. And it's the best photo ever the Jayhawk mascots right there. And I'm holding her looking over my shoulder like this. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why I was such a like shy, scared, quiet kid, but imaginative. But very, yes. I, I spent a lot of time by myself outside playing Robin Hood by myself. I had friends too. You know, but, <laughs> so they were imaginative. Mainly most believe. 
Would you say you're an introvert then? Like a- I'm an extroverted introvert for okay. sure. Yeah. It depends on what you get me in. Like I, I'm, I'm extrovert on stage and in performance scenarios, but for the most part, I like to listen. Um, I mean, maybe the most interesting way I can answer that, I don't even know if it's interesting, it's like, I was very insecure when I was a kid, because I was like, uh, I was chubby, and I had, you were chubby? Yeah, which is why I like to count things now, and like, I'm much more weird about like, what we eat, you know, because I have like, the whole like, fat kid thing happening. <laughs> um, no, but I, but I, but I also... And this still affects me to this day. I loved baseball, and I played it from, like, t-ball up through until they wouldn't let me anymore because I had to be a boy to continue playing back then. And I so when I was in third or fourth grade, I got my hair cut like all of my teammates. And from that point until I grew it out in, like, seventh grade, I had, like, paralyzing fear about all like social interactions with people I didn't know because I inevitably we would go into the ground round, which was like this chain of restaurants in like upstate New York or maybe elsewhere. And, um, (laughs) and like the waiter, like if I was my dad would be like, I'll take you and your son back to the table, you know? And like, there was like this shame and embarrassment. Um, and, and now that I like, so that's why like I wore my hair long for way longer than I wanted to because, uh, because I knew what I was quote unquote getting myself into. And now, now it's why, because my hair is short, like that happens all of the time again, still now. And we talked, we've talked about this on the podcast. Um, like, in fact, I got into the elevator this morning in our hotel and it was these two women and like, you know, you got to swipe the card to hit your number. And I'd swipe my card. So I hit my number and I'm like, they're busy, and I'm like, hey, do you, do, you, do you want me to hit your number? And they're like, duh, 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 duh. And then one of them said to the other, hey, he asked you, you know, if you wanted the thing. And I looked at her, and I was like, I'm a woman. And she was like, yes. And she was like, sorry, I didn't even look. And I'm like, well, you've just shit all over my day. You know? And I'm like, I wish that it didn't make me feel this way. I mean, I didn't say, I didn't say this part, right? I just said, <laughs> I just said, I'm, and she was like, oh, sorry, I didn't even look. I just sat on the, you know, and then I waited, and then I exited, and I'm like, I'm like, so anyway, but the reason I say that is because I inevitably, when someone does that, misgenders, like I am like seven again, you know, mm-hmm. and there's like all of this insecurity and shame. And like, so for me, I, I, I and I remember being really terrified when there'd be substitute teachers when I was younger, because they would do roll call. And it had happened multiple times where they were like, you know, Kate Fagan. And then I'd be like, that's me. And they'd be like, no, no, Kate Fagan. You know, and, like, they would not accept that I could be the person on the list. And I once had my mom, when I, our teacher told us, on a, like, this is, like, therapy for me. Our teacher told us on a Friday that we were going to have a sub on a Monday. I couldn't sleep all weekend. And I made my mom go in early Monday morning and talk to the sub. And tell the sub that I would be coming into the class at, like, you know, third period. And that I would have short hair and not to misgender me. So anyway, so like I imagine that that's what the I don't know what people's perspective of of me when I was a little kid, but like that's what stands out in my mind is like this paralyzing like oh insecurity. God. So my mom went in and she talked to the sub. She's like, "It's gonna be fine." 
But she was also, I think, like, grow your fucking hair out. <laughs> you have control of this problem. She still says that. She still to this says day. that, yeah. 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 I love well, honey, I hate that that happens to you. Why don't you grow your hair out? Maybe you should wear sneakers a little less often. <laughs> that was another one. I love yeah. that. I, I can totally relate to that because I was a really, a really chubby kid too, and people would call me Buddha. And then people would call me Buddha. Oh, <laughs> wow. One person had said one time, it was some joke like, in my family, so it wasn't like a kid, um, had said, what is a um, solar eclipse? And they said, it's when a kid gets in the way of the sun. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so anyways, I could, that's why I was kind of laughing at you. Yeah. Because I was like laughing in relationship to what you were saying. Um, so I could share that sort of like the, that like grade school kind of stuff. But um, I love that you guys like just talk openly about those types of things. Um, all of it, all of it, all of it. Okay, so I wanted to, what time is it? Okay, we need to wrap it up. I um, I won't be over, but I wanted to give an opportunity for anybody from from the audience to ask a question or two or three or four. Yes. <laughs> so that people have a better understanding. Will you explain your thing with the word less? You started to say now. Oh, I think it would yeah. be very important. Oh, and then I cut you off. Yes. Here. Yeah. Um. So. I, so it, the word lesbian I feel like and I will preface it by saying that I think some of this might be my own internalized shit but I think a lot of it is very real and that the word lesbian I think it produces all of these images in people's minds and I don't relate to those images like I think culturally speaking the way that we show what a quote unquote lesbian is like it's always like I'm just going to be like versions of uh, relationships that I don't identify with. But it's more than that, because I think now we're getting really real here. Um, one, it's the only, like, being, it's like someone's gay. It's not, the, the word lesbian is like this all it's in a proper noun. Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, that's a gay dude. And it's just, that's a lesbian. Gay men, but you're, yeah, a so, lesbian. So there's something about the word. Like, it's not even human anymore. You have to be, like, a something else. Right. And I, I get, I've gotten shit for that before because it's like you want to like empower the word and change it, but I don't identify with the word, and I don't identify it with be because now I'm being really real. It's like I I know that I'm gay that I only want to marry a woman, but like when it comes to well, I I only want to marry Catherine. Sorry, and I only like I don't ever want to be married again. But like when it comes to sex, like. I'm cool, guys. Like, I'm not like a gold star lesbian, like the term when you've only slept with women. You know, so like, but there's no word for that. There's no word for like, hey, I'd be open. You know. I like your word, Catherine, so it. Yeah, but it's like, if someone wanted to know what my identity was, like, I say gay because it's like this cultural encompassing thing and you kind of get a sense of it. Whereas the word lesbian, like, I feel like what I'm communicating to someone is that like, I only, like, my sexual attraction is only to women. I don't like men. That I'm angry. And these are things that I don't, that I think have been culturally transmitted to mean what that word means. And so I'm like, when I say it, I'm like, that's not me. And But there's no word to say, like, to say how I identify from, like, a relationship and a sex standpoint and a cultural standpoint. And I don't know what that word is. Like, there is no word. To me, gay is just, like, this loose word that I'm not offended by. Meaning, like, I 
I don't fully think it represents me, but I'm also like not upset at it. So I just say that. So hopefully that. But again, some of that might be some internalized homophobia from like women's basketball. When what I think of of the word lesbian and what was you know, so some of that might be in my own shit. But I think some of a lot of it is very real. Thank you for following up on that. So I know you both have this philosophy of, you know, choosing things that feel true to yourselves and prioritizing, you know, family over things that feel more like superficial. What is it like, you know, making those choices as people who already started in the spotlight? And do you ever feel like obligation to the people who like, follow you? And how do you let go? Of it's an interesting dance. Um, it's not, again, it's not one or the other because, um, at least with social media, I feel this more because my unintentionally in my career, a lot of people do come to me through Instagram now specifically. And I, I know I can reach a lot of people that way. Um, even though social media for me is just this, it's cringeworthy yet. Oh, this is good. I, long story short. I think we're very privileged because we have established amazing careers and we've worked really hard to get to where we are. And we're very lucky to be there that we can have this place where we've created a comfort zone. So now we can focus on our family and we don't have to hustle as hard. And that's amazing that we're in that place. Uh, I, I, especially with my career, with the yoga background, it's been my job to take care of people. And so it, even if it is through something like I have to post on social media, there is this part of me that still feels like I'm taking care of people by sharing information here. And there's this innate, like, how can I create content that gives to people, whether it's classes that I'm created, books that we're writing. Um, so that doesn't feel like an obligation, like a work obligation as much as a life obligation. Like this is part of the reason that I'm here. It's a life obligation. And, um, if I feel it crosses the line into this is a weird ego thing for me and I'm just trying to feed my ego, then I try to reel it back in. But I get satisfaction from giving. So that, did I answer that correctly? Yeah. Also, can I like follow up? Yeah. Um, what advice would you give like people who haven't, who are trying to balance like what you guys already did before you started like prioritizing, but still like keep that philosophy? I mean, I, I don't think a hustle is a bad thing. You know, I think the hustle can actually be really satisfying as long as you don't completely lose yourself within it. And, you know, the whole thing in this day and age, we're like, how do you find balance? Like, who fucking knows? I mean, I, I mean, balance, I, I do think balance is almost this word that the wellness world has created to, to sell more bath salts. You know what I mean? Like, and I do think it's in, <laughs> I might be a little jaded from my background, but... I do think it's important that we all take time to take care of ourselves more. That's something that we could all benefit from. But I also kind of feel with everything that's going on in the world, what we really need to do is be taking care of each other more than just taking care of ourselves. And I'm not saying it's selfish to take care of yourself. Yes, you need to love yourself before you, you can love others. Of course, of course, of course. But like, we need to take care of each other. We've lost this, you know, those, the, 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 like, the, the, the tribe like taking, going back to our original roots and taking care of each other. So 
I think, yeah, hustle for yourself, but while you're building your business or your brand or whatever it is, like, how can you stay connected with your community and your people? And not in a, like, well, I check in with them on Instagram every day. No, like, for real. How it takes a village, and what are the things that you can do that, that, that keeps those villagers, you have that, that person that you can call and be like, I need to bury a body. Where are you? Okay. Yes. Okay, you know you have that person. It's very, very important. <laughs> Tiny death dance. Um, can you guys touch on a little bit from a cultural perspective, moving from Brooklyn back to the South? We used to live in New Orleans, we've been in Brooklyn for three years, we talk about moving back to the South as, you know, being in a same-sex relationship, and, you know, I relate to you, Kate, in saying, you know, dropping her hand in weird areas. You know, New Orleans is liberal, but out in the state of Louisiana, so talking about going back down yeah. South from living in Brooklyn, you walk down the street pulling hands, it's not even interesting. So, can you guys talk about kind of going back down South from Brooklyn? Yeah, um, I was a little scared about it, but we'd spent enough time in Charleston that I knew that Charleston was a bit of um, an anomaly within the state of similar South Carolina. To, similar Charleston and South Carolina, similar to New Orleans and Louisiana. Yeah. It's like this little pocket of yeah. blue. But I mean, I think the way I approached it for the most part was like um, just n- normalizing it and my, like not approaching it like I was going down there and I had to think about it all of the time. I just treated it like we were in Brooklyn still. And we bit and, and with Catherine, she just didn't, she gives zero fucks about what anyone else thinks. And that was so empowering to me. So I think what we did when we went down there and was treat it like just force people to deal with it, you know, and not be like, Oh, we're in the South. Not like force people to deal with it. Like, we're going to walk down the street and we're going to hold hands in Charleston. And there's not that many, you know, gay couples down there, let alone like gay female couples down there. So I'm not going to treat it like we're walking down the street and I'm going to bend to your rules. Like, I'm just like, no, we're, we're here. We're married. Like we just treated it like it was perfectly fine. And I don't know if that, but like, that doesn't mean that Charleston's perfect. It's been totally Our experience fun. has been good. It's also the circles that we run in, I think, as well. But from our experience, we're walking down King Street, which is one of the main strips in Charleston, and we're holding hands. You know, if we're, going, if we're walking by a big group of bachelorette parties, we get a ton of those people get married there all the time. It's more of a we'll get looks, not of disgust, but kind of like, oh. You see a lot of sh- surprise and, and maybe just surprise, not shock. Shock feels a little severe. But I feel like that's that's what we need to do. That's what everyone should be doing more. Like, make it normal. You know, don't... It's like, oh, it's a bunch of bachelorettes wearing penis necklaces. Like, that doesn't mean that it's not okay for two married women to be holding hands next to the women in their penis necklaces. You know? I like, like penises. Come on. Be like, where'd you buy that? I think I need to get a penis necklace. But I, I do think that... You know, and it, it's... And also, like, if you looked at my parents, my dad's about to turn 80. He's, like, an old white dude. I feel like he's the kind of guy that if you looked at him, you would probably be like, you're the enemy. And yet my little old 80-year-old dad is, he's been the head of all these universities, and he's been so proactive, and he's done all these amazing Wait, tell things. him what they said when you told him that you were with me. Oh, I, when I told my dad that I was with Kate, and I was nervous around it. Primarily because he just paid for my wedding, and I thought he was going to disown me because he paid for the wedding. But um, when I, I, I was a little nervous about telling my dad, and he was like, if you think I would be upset, then you don't even know me. And I was like, <laughs> uh, like I still get choked up when I say it. And, 
yeah, so what, what my point is, I think, God damn it, um, we it, don't assume, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of bigotry and there's a lot of assholes out there and we're going to have to endure and we're going to have to deal with it. But I also just like, yes, we're in the South. Yes, we're in Charleston, South Carolina. But I do think there's more open minds who have not had enough experience to to they'll be the people to just throw it on labels, not because they're bigoted. It's just because they haven't had the experience because they've lived in Charleston, South Carolina, and they're just surrounded by heterosexual normality, you know, and that's their what they know. And so it, you just be you and get out there and be you. And then that becomes normal. And then people just get comfortable with that being the norm. I know that sounds like a very passive way of doing it. But from my experience, when people point out like you're an asshole because you don't understand this. And, like, you're late to the party. It's like, that's not helping anyone. Like, we're not getting people on our side and educating them by shaming them. And, yeah, sometimes when you have a ton of knowledge and experience and people are so naive, you want to get angry at them. But it's not helping. So it's just, like, swallow your anger and be like, okay, let me educate you in a kind way. And you have not had these experiences for whatever reason because of your family, where you've lived, with your friends, your, you know. So I, I think just, like, kind, open education and being yourself. And um, by the way, I love New Orleans. That's one of my favorite places. And we have a great gay bar there that makes the best frozen drink ever. <laughs> That's what we do. We drink frozen we drinks. We do. We drink frozen drinks. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's going to be rough coming from Brooklyn where like, everyone's gay. It's so great. Like just everyone is doing their thing in New York City. And we miss that. We miss feeling like, oh, we're a part of the, the, the people here. Instead of like, ooh, look at the exotic creatures, which is kind of fun too. It's <laughs> really good question. Anyone else? You mentioned earlier that um, possibly losing family would be something that, that kind of isn't fear. Uh, aside from that, what's what are your biggest fears? And what do you do to overcome it? Live it. Not skirting it. I, I, I think it's easy to skirt and avoid tactic. Um, what are your biggest fears? Well, this is... Wait, wait. wait this is like a little antidote, actually. Um, I used to skydive. And the very first time, if anyone has skydived in here before, the moment where you're standing on a plane with no door on it, and you're looking out, it is like, it's, it's just, it's the most surreal thing ever because you're like two miles above the ground. It looks like it's made up and you know, your body is wired to react in situations. And when you're looking out into something like that Uber fear, you, your brain can't even process it. You know, you're scared, but there's no computing going on. And in that moment, I've never felt fear like that before in that moment. And then you get pushed out. And so you're moments away from like, you know, your sphincter just totally releasing, and, <laughs> and then you you hit the air, and it was the quickest transition from the highest fear I've ever felt to the highest bliss yeah. I've ever felt, okay. and that was just such a beautiful little life lesson for me that the, the things that are just like keeping you up at night or you're so terrified of, you gotta just get in it. Well, I'm a big fan of answering questions as honestly as we possibly can, so <laughs> not that that wasn't, I'm saying I want to follow up. <laughs> no, I want to follow up. He's like, I don't, I think you, we have a couple minutes. I, want, I, I think you should try to name what, my, what you think my biggest fear is, and I'll try to name what I think your biggest fear is. 
Do you, um, a, do you already have mine? Yeah, because I was thinking about it because I'm the one that set this whole thing up. <laughs> She's thinking about what to say about me. But I'll answer it because I think there's... I think that that's true and that you got to, like, dive into it, but I think... Not that that's easy. No, but I... All. But I think most of the time you won't even name what your biggest... Fe- not you, but, like, even naming what your biggest fear is is hard. So I, I guess I would... Is it all right if we do this? Yeah, sure. I would say that you're... And I don't know if this is a fear, but this is what comes up for me, is that your biggest fear is that people will think that you're stupid. Yes. Really? Yeah. And so... That, and that, that influences a lot of our interactions, I think. Not a lot of them, but, like, I often think that I really watch what I say, like, if you use a, a, a word, right, and God it's, like... God forbid my grammar isn't right. And, like, I have my mom in me, and I might be like, oh, do you mean that? And, like, I won't do that anymore because... It feels so passive if someone Because oh. if, if someone did that to me, like, if I use the wrong form of a, like, of a word, right? And I'm like, oh, you mean, like, introspection? I would be like, yeah, I meant introspection. Like, it would not phase me at all. But if I... I've done that to Catherine for years. And I finally realized how much it, like, sent her down, like, uh, I'm stupid. Maybe, maybe Kate thinks I'm stupid. Uh, like, I'm not smart enough. And so I'm sorry if that's okay. No, it's fine. So I think I, I see that as your big. I see that as your biggest fear, like that keeps you from trying things that you might Which, otherwise. How try. do you fix a fear like that? I mean, therapy. You know. <laughs> well, seriously, you know. I mean, I think there's some fears where, hopefully, having an understanding partner who's willing to name things out loud, so you can. <laughs> well, no, but I I'm do sorry. think. No, I'm I, not no, it's not. No, 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 no. But yeah. uh, saying stuff out loud. Because if it just, you keep it buried within you, it is in that deep little dungeon that, like, it's not growing, it's just festering. Um, but, I mean, I know, we're like, we just want there. space in there. Would you say that when that happens, that situation happens, do you think that it's because it's your own inner thoughts of like a projection of feeling that way? Do you think it's like, a, like I'm projecting how I feel, yes. a perception of what you think of me? Or is it more of a... You want to be clear and direct about who you are. And, and does that make any sense? A little bit of both. I mean, I think all, all of my biggest fears come from my... Kind of like Kate, which she assumes everyone's thinking about her right now. I mean, I feel like one of your biggest fears is how people interpret you. Like, there's a lot of dialogue going on. I forget what you said earlier in the conversation, but that you assumed everyone... Oh, when something. you said the courting thing? Oh, with the courting, that she's the oh, boy right. and I'm the girl kind of and thing. you had to been and yeah. so that's just coming from our stories that we've uh, told ourselves for our entire lives, which is hard to break when you have a story like that. But, um, so I don't know. I think the biggest fears are like deep down, you know, it's your own shit, but it's also shit that's been in your backpack since it was small and plastic and had a unicorn on it. So you just like, don't really know how to unpack it. You know, like you've been carrying it for a long time. And then when you're just used to that weight, you're like, Oh, it feels weird to not have it. I don't know. Is that your biggest fear, what she just named? No, I'd have to think about your biggest fear. Yeah. I'm I fearless. Mean... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm kidding, obviously. Um, I won't even drive, like, a jet ski fast because I'm so scared. So from a physical so standpoint, from a, from a physical standpoint, I, like, won't take any She's risks. She's Like, I won't even jump on a trampoline because I think it's too dangerous. Um, but I know that's different from what we're talking about. Um... Uh, like kind of emotional fears that hold me back 
Um, for, for my, I don't know what it is now because I've gotten better at it, but for much of my life, it was building relationships with people because I was lying so much about who I was when I was closeted and then putting my, you know, and so it was like my big fear was even like getting to know anybody because then they would ask questions and then I would lie about stuff. Um, but like now like that that's opened up for me, I'm not quite sure if there's like a emotional thing that's holding me back, but I've given Catherine some time to think about it. You'll be the next episode of Free Cookies. Yeah, that's right. Kate's biggest fear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my biggest fear on a daily basis is getting misgendered. Honestly, it's my biggest fear. And it influences my what I do all the time. I was going to say that for me. But I mean, that's not like that's not like something I can conquer, right? Unless I follow my mom's advice. Um, throw my hair out. <laughs> um, but we're, okay, we're going to have to think about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, good question. Thank you. I wanted to ask, um, and then I'll go back to the audience if we have time. But um, so, how did Free Cookies come together? So, Free Cookies is their podcast. If you guys want to. You can summarize it real quick. We just, we just really love, we love ideas. We yeah. love ideas. We love talking about them. And, and I, when I was at ESPN, I just, so much of my job ended up being like making a prediction about like the AFC East, you know? And it, and that was fun for a lot of people. And that is fun for a lot of people. But like what I, what the conversations we were having at home, like about what tech is doing to us and about like, scaling and philosophy and the multiverse and stuff like that i had no we had nowhere to actually have those conversations and like we just like how we are together and it ends up usually kind of like being a fun back and forth and we just enjoy doing it and that was really the the genesis of it plus everybody has a podcast these days right <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's doing it, huh? Are there any more questions from the audience? Thank you guys for listening for Get so long. Saturday night. Um, yeah. Is there anything you guys would like to say or offer up before? Thank you for the your commitment to being you and doing this. Yes. Yeah.